So before we get going, I just want to tell you a little bit about uh, James Smith. Um, I, know, I know James went to Waltrip High School, went to Sam Houston State. Uh, if you know where that is, in Texas, great university. It's a Division II school for athletics. And I'm particularly fond, although I'm not a Texan, um, Division II football, they always rank real high, so it's a great team to watch, the Bearcats. But uh, James Smith went to uh, Sam Houston Married his wife, Sherry, oh, a little over 30 years ago. And uh, they have two kids, uh, Jeremy and Tiffany. And, two, and they're great kids, real good kids. Um, they've been happily married. He's been in business. He's done, you, you'd like him if you knew him, uh, like I do. But uh, that he, he is a, a social conservative. But uh, when you consider, well, he is from Texas, what do you expect, right? It's its own little country, uh, Texas. And... Um, Oh, he owns a John Deere. I'm trying to think of what else you should know about him. He owns a John Deere mower, and he likes to mow his own yard. He takes pride mowing his own yard, which is kind of cool. He has a dog um, that I wrote this down because I'm not a big fan of dogs, um, but you kind of know that. It's a golden doodle. I have no idea what that means other than it will probably float in the pool. Is that what a golden doodle does, float in the pool? Um, the dog's name is Oliver. And Oliver weighs 36 pounds. This is not a fluff of nothing. This is a 36-pound golden doodle. It's a pretty, pretty big dog. So pretty good-sized dog for, uh, for them. So, but he loves his yard, loves his house, loves taking care of his yard. And, uh, but, those are, but that's not really his delight. His real delight, uh, if you knew him, is that James actually, uh, he, his real joy is his grandkids. He has seven grandkids. And... Um, and when James posts pictures of his grandkids, it's usually they're at a sporting event because he and Sherry try to go to see all the kids' sporting events and concerts, things like that. They are, they are by far better grandparents than they are parents. You know what I'm talking about? You tend to notch it up a bit when you're a grandparent. And um, it, in fact, I, uh, I just learned this, this last week he, this, about him. He, he actually took his oldest granddaughter to New York City for high tea uh, just to spend the day with her. Isn't that a cool trip, day trip? So this is, he's doing grandfathering like way better than most people in the country. He's just a great guy. And, um, you know, if you knew him, just, uh, you would be, you know, you would like him. He's a really neat guy. I, I wish you knew him like I knew him. Um, you only, the only real issue to this is I, we're in church, I'll tell you the truth. I, I really don't know him either. Um, he is a real guy, but I, I Googled most popular name in America and it came up Smith. And I, I Googled most popular male name and it came up James. So I found a James Smith who went to Houston, uh, Sam Houston State who married a Sherry, who has two kids and a dog named Oliver. And that's how I know him. And now you feel like, it, you tell me all about this guy like you know him, but you really don't. Uh, that's pretty much the truth right there. But uh, you would like him if you knew him. I mean, I think, I bet, but I don't really know him either. So it makes it a little more difficult now that I've admitted that I don't actually know him. I mean, know him, know him. And you know what social scientists would call that? They would say, 
about Dave. He knows about him, but he doesn't actually know him. So what they're saying about, about people and you know about them, you have what's called impersonal information. Now, it's all personal information, but it's impersonal, personal information. In other words, you know about the person, but you don't really know them. You see, you understand the difference? How cool would it be if instead of just all the stuff that we talk about knowing about Jesus, if we actually knew him for that? How cool would that be? Um, see, all I did was I Googled, and then everything I learned about James Smith, I learned on the internet through YouTube and Facebook. Some of you right now are deleting accounts as I speak, <laughs> right? Yeah, and it didn't take that long. In fact, even the illustration I'm giving you, I, I didn't, it's, even it's not original. Th that's how impersonal this really is. So how cool would it be if you had a relationship with Jesus as tight and as real as what you know about Jesus? I hope you get that. Because we know a lot about Jesus, but do you really know Jesus? I mean, really, really know him. This came home to roost on me in a great way when uh, a few years ago when uh, I was on a missions trip with some of you uh, to the land of Kenya in East Africa. We got there, and there, there are people who just dearly despise our president and then dearly love our president, all in the same group. And people would say, when you get back, you tell him what? And then when others would say, you tell our guy we love him. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to say he's your guy. He's our guy. But I'll tell him that, you know, like, should I ever see him? And they just assume that because I'm from America that I know him. And so they just, they say, when you see him, you tell him, okay, okay, okay. I'll, right. But I don't really, I know a lot about him. At least I think I know a lot about him. Uh, I know he's a, you know, a good husband and a good father, and he plays some golf, and he likes inventions. And um, I mean, I, I know some stuff about him, but I don't really know the president. A few years ago, oh, we had a drummer in our, in our band. His name's Eric, a Navy guy, deep sea diver, Duke graduate. And I'm telling you the truth when I tell you that, too. I actually know Eric. I know Eric. <laughs> Eric's married to Casey, and they got stationed here, and he played the drums while he was here. And he didn't even tell us, but one Sunday morning, he played the drums, and then he took off that afternoon. And, and by the way, Eric's, Eric and Casey have been in our home. We've had... We've had you know, burgers and brats on the deck, and I mean, we, we're friends with them, so why they didn't tell us is we don't, I, I kind of know why, but I just, that Sunday night, we got a text from Casey, it said, turn on the news now, now, so we turn on the news, Eric is in the news, he is on that portico, that upper deck of the White House, he is like six feet from President Obama, and President Obama's speaking, and Eric's standing there like this, and he's getting an award, and the president shakes his hand and says, congratulations, and hands this award to Eric. And I go, oh, man, I wish we'd been, if we'd known. And Eric said, that's, that's why we didn't tell anybody, because we, we knew you'd run to the White House lawn and make fools of us, and then <laughs> we all go to jail. So, 
So, so that tells you, not only do I know Eric, but Eric knows Dave. That kind of <laughs> tells you the other side of that relationship. So I said to Eric, so you shook his hand, right? So could, could I, like, he said, okay, you can shake the hand <laughs> that shook his hand. And I, I shook his hand, and he said, I, I have washed since then. I have shot. It's okay, it's okay. I've, so now I can tell you, even though I don't know, know the president, I do know him because I shook a hand that once shook the hand of the president. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty big right now. And, and I've not washed that hand, just so you know. And not like Eric, I'm, I'm holding on to the memory. But wouldn't it be cool if we had a personal relationship that matched what we know about Jesus. Wouldn't that be neat? Some of us had, sometime in our past, a personal relationship with Jesus where you would go to him for anything and say anything to him and pour out your heart to him. But something happened and it cooled off. Love, affection, distance, um, going my own way, sin in my own life, or disappointment, whatever it would be, just something happened and you're still friends with Jesus and you would call him savior but not necessarily are you tight best buddies okay and I'm hoping by the end of our time spent this morning you'll say I, you know what I'm ready for that relationship to be reignited others would say I know about Jesus but only from a distance kind of like you know about Abraham Lincoln or about George Washington but I don't really know them and I'm hoping you're going to learn enough about Jesus that you would say, I really want to know him personally. And you would open your heart to say, I trust Christ to be my savior from my sin because I can't, I, you know, at the end of the day, you, you can't make it, nor can I. Nobody can. But it's the moment you become honest and realize, I cannot make it. That's the moment that Jesus says, now you're ready to come into my kingdom and trust me. And I hope you'll make that move today to trust him to have the relationship so you stop just knowing about him and know him and talk to him, listen to him, and have a relationship with him. And so, Father in heaven, as we open the word now, we don't want to just know more about Jesus. We need to know him, who is the power of the resurrection, who is the way, the truth, and the life, who is our hope and our salvation, our rock, we don't need to know more about him. We just need to know him. So I pray that we would know Jesus and the Holy Spirit would be our divine teacher to this truth. And the Bible now would be our guide to lighten our, the eyes of our hearts. And I pray, Lord, for those who never really trusted Christ, may this be the hour they do that. And for those who've trusted the Lord but have never really drawn in closer, have had warmer days, closer days, may we renew the walk with the Lord because we want to know him. And we need that relationship. So help us be our guide to the truth this morning. Would you please, and we'd be grateful. We pray in Christ's name. The church says amen. amen. John... John 10.
Let's open our Bibles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 10. Jesus is telling us in the seven IMs of the Gospel of John. John chapter 10, he says, I am the gate. Your version may say, I am the door. I'll use those interchangeably, same thing, okay? I'm the door or I'm the gate. When we speak about we speak about a door, we talk about a door to your house, you shut that door and lock it, and it's for security, but it also keeps the elements out. Your door may be insulated as well. It, it keeps moisture out, it keeps the, the summer heat out, it also keeps the winter cold out. It's there to oppose the elements. But there's a door inside your house as well. It's there not for the elements, but it's there for privacy's sake. And it may not even have a lock on it. You just shut the door and that means leave me alone. And you know that in the culture of your own home. But then you also have a door in your mind that's the door of opportunity. So when we speak about door, you could be talking about the door to your house, the door inside your house, the door of opportunity, which means I have some potential to life or some things in life that could come my way. And then there's another side of that door, which is, means I, the doors are always shutting on me, uh, implying the doors keep closing, I'm losing opportunity. And this week when we talk about Jesus, I am, he is saying, I am the gate. He calls himself the door or the gate. And as a gate, he is declaring that people are either inside or outside. There's one way to look at this. You're either inside from the perspective or you're outside. And the gateway is like a pathway. And he's saying that's why we have gatekeepers. There are people who actually manage the gate. And the gatekeeper monitors it. And he has authority as to who comes and goes. So he's checking credentials, if you will, lanyards. And so when Jesus declares he is the gate, he is stating and implying a whole lot. But he's stating straight up, I am the entrance to your safety, to your eternal life. I am the gate. When he says, I am the gate, he's saying, not only am I your safety, but I am the only way. I'm the only gate. There's only one gate in this corral, and I am it. So he's saying, I'm the only way you're going to be safe. And he's saying, I speak with authority because I am authority, and I know the sheep, and, and, and you, in other words, I know my sheep, and you cannot fool me. So when he says, I'm the gate, or I'm the door, he's saying, uh, Three, four, five, six things at the same time. Chapter 10, verse 1. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Get that. They know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run the other way from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used a figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Stop there. To get a clear picture of the situation, you have to understand the culture of the day. Jesus is speaking in what was very common to their day in sheep and shepherding, kind of like the way we would talk about computers and networking and booting up and things like that. His audience would know all about sheep and barnyard animals and the needs of shepherds and, and what the nature of sheep is really like. And so when, 
when he begins to describe sheep, he knows sheep look down, they are helpless in and of them, their own selves. They chew, if you know anything about sheep, they grow this wool, this furry wool, which catches everything in the yard, picks up, and it's good insulation for them, but it picks up grass and sticks, and it is an amazing magnet to just crud. And it stays there a long time, so it's going to mold there, it's going to grow there. So sheep will pick up stuff as they walk. Their heads are down. Generally speaking, they walk with their heads down. When they lift their eyes, it's only to make sure they're with the rest of the sheep. So they bump into each other, and they stay close together. That's why you'll never find a stampede of sheep. You never find, oh, they they took over the hill. No, they, they didn't. They wandered there. And sheep just wander. In fact, if they don't look up, they'll be just picking grass and they'll wander from the group if they don't lift their head for a moment. They'll wander off, and that's the wayward sheep. That's the biblical illustration. But the shepherds knew all about that, so did all the townspeople, so did the people in the day, hearing the voice of Jesus. So his audience knew all about sheep and knew all about the nature of these sheep. They were helpless. They chewed their way through a hillside, would just work their way through the hillside just walking, eating. And it didn't matter to them where they went. That's why sheep tend to wander. Now, about this time, by the way, whatever sheep did, the next sheep would do because they didn't look up. So if a sheep went there, the next sheep next to him would feel that and he would move there too. And that's how sheep would move. So if one went over the cliff, the chances of four, five, six more falling off the cliff was extremely high, which then makes me pause for a moment and ask you if your mother read the same book my mother read when she would be so disgusted with me and say, if all your friends jumped off a cliff, would you too? And I said, yeah. And my brother told me later, that's not the answer she was looking for. (laughs) Any of your mothers use that phrase? If everybody else jumped off a cliff, would you too? Yeah, that's not a question you're supposed to answer. But I didn't know that at the time. They are incapable, sheep are incapable of finding their own way home. They have, they have no homing device inside of them. You know, you, it's not true with a dog. You can drop a dog five miles from home. When you get home, she's waiting for you. She's already home, saying, where have you been? And, and so it, it begs the question, too, like, just like with your, your own children or maybe the family you grew up in, but you have a brother or sister who's very good with directions, and then you have a brother or sister who can't find their way home and they've lived in the same town for 10 years. They just get lost turning the wrong one corner and they're just gone there in tears because they have no homing device. It's, it's, it's unique, but that's the way most all sheep are. And Jesus is making the case when he says, I am the gate. He's saying, that's what I take care of right there. Sheep who wander, eat their way and, and their, their fur is full of stuff. And this is the amazing thing. Because we live in a city, we all think sheep are beautiful. They're just cheerful little animals that just weren't heard a thing. And when you're driving by a hillside full of sheep and they're 200 yards away, it is cute. Because you're in your car and you have your windows rolled up and your air conditioning on, and they are cute. You get close to them, it's not nearly so cute. It's not nearly so clean. Because sheep just wander anywhere and fall into anything. Now, to make sure the picture is clear, you have to understand, too, the common illustration of the day, Jesus may have been speaking as he's walking through town. And as he's walking through town, there are shepherds who've come into town, and as they come into town, 
they're bringing their sheep with them because sheep are, for them, it's their income, it's their flock, but it's kind of like their family because the sheep, you know, the, the verse, they knows their voice. So he goes, come on, sheepies, let's go. And they go into town. Now, if he needs to do some business, he may pen them up for a while in a pen in town. But here's the deal. There might be four, five, six shepherds in town that day. You might have brought 10 sheep with you and another one brought another 10, another one brought another 10. You could have 50 or 100 sheep in this one pen. So when you're ready to go, you go, I'm back, and only your sheep come. Do you know why? Because those sheep know that voice. They don't know the other voices. So they, they don't respond to any other voice but yours. And Jesus knew that from the, when they spoke, then the town people knew that as well. Now take that same illustration and go to the rural setting. Now he has the whole flock, and now he might have 100 sheep on the hill. And so he, he let, sets them out to pasture in some, in some good uh, grassland. And while they are eating, he has an eye on them, but while they're eating, he's picking up rocks, and he's making a big circle. And what he's doing is he's building a corral for that night. Now, those rocks don't have to be three, four feet high. They don't, because sheep are not going to climb over. They are not goats. They're not horses. They're not going to jump. Sheep, their head's going to be down. Very rarely is the head going to come up. When it comes up, it's going to be to get back into the group. So their heads are down, and when they bump into a rock, they're just going to turn to the left or to the right and keep eating. That's what they do. So all he has to do is get a row of rocks all the way around in a circle. And guess what? He's got one area that's maybe three or four feet wide, and that's the gate. And that night, he'll bring all the sheep in, put them in through the gate, and then he lays down right there, and he becomes the gate. Do you get this? It's a great word picture. So when Jesus says, I am the gate... He's saying, I am the protector for these sheep. I am the provider for these sheep. I give them their identity. They know my voice. They follow me. Thieves come in and break in. They will do nothing but harm. They will never help the sheep. I'm the only help the sheep will ever trust and is worthy of. I am the gate. Now, with that perspective in mind, now you read this text and go, oh my goodness. He, they... How could they get this wrong? But the end of, of verse 6 says, the Pharisees don't get it. You know why? They don't want to get it. They don't want the authority that Jesus is saying, that he is eternally the one, the way and the truth. Now, so what does he do? Verse 7, therefore Jesus says again, this is a very patient Savior. He says, let me go over it one more time, guys. Very truly I tell you, I, I think we've heard this before, Jesus, just the minute before. I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. He said, let's go over it again. I am the gate. The sheep know me. Others are thieves and robbers. You'll find your safety, your significance, your provision, everything. I am the gate. I came to give you life. They came to steal you and strip you clean. I see two real lessons from this. 
And they are two big themes that Jesus is conveying in the I am's. One is that of deity and the other is that of relationship. First of deity, he is saying, Jesus is saying about himself, I am God, I have the authority, I am the gatekeeper. But secondly, what he's saying is, I want relationship with you and I want you to want relationship with me. I want you like the sheep to know my voice and for you to know my voice and for me to know yours. I want to know you, I want to hang on to you. He's saying, I really do care. You have to know that. Now, let me make some observations to this. Go back to verses 7 and 8. Therefore, Jesus says again, very truly I say to you, I am the gate for the sheep. One of the observations I'm making is this. The, The gate is the only, get this, it's the only legitimate entrance to life there'll be other entrances to life that will promise you things but they it will not work in the long haul there are going to be get this there are lots of doors of opportunity for you they will not work they will present like they're going to be great jesus is the only thing that will work at the end of the day we desperately need him because everything else that comes our way is a thief and a robber. Let's suppose, um, you know, it's a spring evening and you've worked hard that day and you, you come home, you have dinner and you get the dishes done, but, but because it's light out longer, you say, hey, let's go for a walk, evening stroll. So you go for a walk. There's maybe two or three people or four people in your family and you're out walking. You're going to go around the block, maybe go half mile or a mile. Not, not, not a big deal. You don't, but it's going to get dark soon, but it's not dark yet. You're out walking, and as you walk, you, you're walking by and waving to neighbors, and then you walk by one house, and you notice there's a guy on the side of the house, not the front door. He's at the side of the house, but he, he's found a concrete block, and he's moved it over by the kitchen window. And now he's stepping up on the block, and he's trying to jimmy. He's, he's found a way to get the screen pushed back, and now he's trying to get the window open and he's slinging a leg into the kitchen window. And he's, he's kind of halfway, as you get by, you realize he's half in, half out. Is that, is that normal? Is that normal on your block? It's not normal on my block. I don't know about your block, but my, my block, that's, that's not normal. When you get home, we normally go through the door. I mean, call us uppity, but it, it, we, you know, it's just it's the way we are. So that begs at least a call, doesn't it? Hey, you know, I don't know what happened. I don't mean to be a judge or anything, but there's a guy crawling in a kitchen window. And and so that would allow the authorities to stop by and say, hey, can I help you? And would say, oh yeah, the kids locked me out of the house. I left my keys. They're on the, and and he, he says where they are, and sure enough, the keys are, okay, could I see some identification? Okay, it's cool. That's all right. But if the guy breaks in, he has no identification, or nothing matches, or he doesn't know that was the kitchen window. By the way, bedroom windows are way bigger. I'm just telling you that if you ever need to, you know, if you forget your keys. Kitchen windows are smaller and they're higher, and bathroom windows are the worst. I can feel I'm alone on this, that none of you have ever lost your keys. But anyway... You want, you want to just check that out because that's not normal. 
what Jesus says is this. Anyone who comes in any other way is a thief and a robber. They will strip you clean when given the opportunity. Jesus is saying, don't trust them. The sheep don't know the, the voice, and it's hard for them to follow. And he's saying, I am, we're going to talk about it later, I'm the, I'm the good shepherd. I will save their lives. I read about this a number of years ago, and it was a colossal, it was an amazing article. It was in a newspaper, and it was the audacity. I mean, it was incredible what these people did. There's a guy who went into a house, and he went to the back door of the house. Jimmy opened the back door of this house, and he knew these people were on vacation. How he knew, I don't know. He knew they were on vacation. Once he got inside, he made himself a pot of coffee, began to eat, and he called a friend. That friend came over with a moving van, and they loaded the house out onto the moving van. And they waved to the neighbors while loading out the house. When they got done, just to show you how brash they are, they did not stop. I would think, you know, the couches, the chairs, the kitchen table, the beds, dressers, that would be enough. No, they didn't stop there. The newspaper went on to say they peeled up the wall-to-wall carpeting. I mean, these robbers are worth their salt, are they not? I mean, they pulled it up. They took the electrical covers off of all the plugs. They stole everything in that house they could get. And then loaded up the truck, shut the door, waved to the neighbors, and drove away in broad daylight. A week or so later, the people arrived home from vacation to find their house immaculately cleaned. I mean, stripped bare. They called the police. The police went to the neighbors and said, did you see anything unusual? They said, we thought they'd sold the house and were moving, and we didn't, we didn't, it never dawned on us that these were robbers. We had no idea. Did anyone think this could go bad? No. In fact, uh, those movers were some of the friendliest we'd seen. And that's the way robbers are. That's the way thieves are. Okay? Observation number one. The gate is the only legitimate entrance to life. Observation number two, the gate is the only passage to satisfying provision. Chapter 10, verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. In other words, they'll get great provision. They're not cooped up in the, in the corral all the time. Once you establish this relationship, you can come and go through life, and you'll find safety at nighttime inside the corral, and you'll have freedom and nourishment outside of the hills. You can come and go, and the gatekeeper always knows you and calls you by name, and you know his voice, and you'll trust the shepherd because he's always led you to great pastures, and even when you don't know where you're going, it doesn't matter because he helps you, and you always end up at better pastures yet. So when he moves the flock to another hill, you know he does it not because he hates you, he does it because he loves you. Observation number two, the gate is the only passage to a really satisfying, satisfying provision. Number three, it's the gate provides safety, security. The thief only comes to kill, steal, kill, destroy. I've come, conversely, get that. 
I come that you have life and have it to the full. Another translation, to have it abundantly. We know the enemy is out to destroy us, and so we stay within an earshot of the shepherd, and the shepherd pulls us back into line, not to be mean, but to save us. Not to be nasty, but to save us. And when we understand that on days when the shepherd seems to be strong-armed, we realize, no, he is really out for our own good. It's brutal out there, and the sheep are an easy target. Get this, if you think about it for a moment, sheep can't run fast enough to get away from, from an animal that wants to go after them, right? They can't run. They, their head is down. They don't have perspective to even see them coming most of the time. Sheep feed towards the ground. They don't feed towards the trees. They feed towards the ground. So an enemy can come up on them quickly. They can't run. They don't have any great defensive mechanism. The only thing they have is their voice, which is kind of creepy when you think about it. But they don't really have a great defense mechanism. No one's going to go, well, that was weird. You know, but then they still eat them for lunch. You know, so that's the only defense they have. And you know what? Humans are the same way. Our heads are down. We're busy doing what we need to do. We don't have the ability to run away fast enough. And all we do is whine. We, it just it sounds not very good. The analogy is not very complimentary. And so that's why you have to stay close to the shepherd who sees from a distance. The sheep only sees what's about 6 to 12 inches in front. The shepherd standing up is looking out to hundreds of yards out. And he's saying, we need to come back this way. We're going to go over here today. You have to trust the shepherd who has way better perspective than you do. You see, the gate provides safety, and it also provides wonderful security because we can't get away enough. That's why it's so important that we just listen to Jesus because the analogy hits us so close to home. And, and we need the gate. We need the shepherd to defend us. We, know, we need him to know of our whereabouts. And we need to know his voice. So when he speaks, we immediately respond. And we don't argue, but we just say, yes, Lord, we would be more than willing to move with you when prompted. We need to run with him because we know it's for our good. That's the picture. That's the relationship. So three conclusions. Number one, the gate's the only legitimate, only legitimate entrance to life. Every other promise, a promising door, is going to be disappointing. Every other one is going to be disappointing. Secondly, the gate's the only passage to the satisfying provision. And every other provision, every other provision is going to come up short. It's not going to work. Thirdly, the gate provides safety and security and every other, every other promise is going to be compromised. Therefore, therefore it, would, it would only seem out of survival that I would stay close to the shepherd. I would run to him. And if I don't know the shepherd, meet the shepherd. Two questions. Go back to deity for a moment. Do I trust Jesus as powerful enough to save? Will I make him Savior and Lord of my life? Do I trust him to save me? But the question of relationship, do I trust Jesus as, as personal enough to care 
Do I trust him that I could be open with him? I could be honest with him? Because let's, let's not kid ourselves. James Smith, he puts out impersonal information online that makes you and me think that we know him. But he doesn't put his hopes and dreams out. He doesn't ever put out his failures. He doesn't put out his disappointments. He certainly is not going to put out his own sin and his own, his own failure in his own heart. He doesn't, that's not going to make it on YouTube. And if it did, you would sue because you'd say, that's a breach of confidence. That's my information. You don't have the right to share that. You see, we only share what we want to be known out there. And that's why you think you know someone when you really don't. What would it be like if you could be totally honest with the Savior and not just know about him, but to really know him? That's what he wants. Some of us in the room who've drawn close to Christ and trusted him now have gotten cooler. And I'm going to ask you in the closing prayer, draw in close to him again. Ask the Lord, would you renew in my heart the desire to know the Savior, to talk with him, to listen to him, to call him friend, and to respond like that, knowing he's out for my good. Some of us in the room would say, no, I've never really trusted him, and today's your day, and you are ready, and good for you. Let's bow for prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, first I need to speak to those of you who already know Christ as Savior, and you, you've had a relationship with him, and it may be a week old or a year or a decade old. But somewhere along the line, you stopped listening. Somewhere along the line, you stopped communicating, trusting his movements and his care. And now today, you realize, oh, he is the shepherd. He is the gate. I can trust his movements. I can trust his feeding, his nurturing. I can trust the security that he offers. I don't want to keep him at a distance. I really want to know his voice. Would you tell him that in your own words? Others of us in the room would say, you know, uh, I, I only know about Jesus, but I need to trust him to be mine. So in your own heart, you're praying, dear God in heaven, I need Christ as my Savior from my sin. I cannot do this. I want to trust him personally as my Savior for heaven and certainly my help for here on earth. The biggest issue of, of postponing it is that you are no longer in charge, and I'm telling you, you'll have better care under the Lord than you will under yourself. That's one. The other is you wonder if he would take you or not, and the answer is really simple. It's yes. The Bible tells us elsewhere, he is not willing, he doesn't want anyone to perish, but to everyone to come into repentance in him. And the, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned our own ways. This is something all of us have done. So you're not alone in this when you come to Christ because it says, the Bible says, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity, that's the sin of us all. 
So your sin is paid for. You might as well just receive the tab that's been paid. And when you say yes to the Lord and you trust him today, he'll come into your life and then he'll help you with the relationship piece. It'll be lifelong, but that's how you begin the relationship with the introduction. And Father, for the decisions that are coming today, Lord, we thank you and applaud you for the hearts that are warmed because we draw in close to you. Thank you. For those who are trusting Jesus Christ for the very first time, we, like the angels, sing and dance and shout hallelujah. It's a wonderful day in heaven and here on earth too. Thank you for the work, the supernatural work that only you can do. Thank you for giving to us the gate, Jesus, who is our security, our salvation, our provision, and our protection. Thank you. May we live to the honor and the glory of Christ, we pray in his name. Amen.